Thank you for listening to the International Family Church Podcast. Our ministry philosophy can be summed up in one statement. It's not about building a great church. It's about building a great people. If you're in the greater Boston area and are wanting to grow in your walk with God, please visit intlfamilychurch.com for more information about our service times. Also, we have a very special service coming up on Friday, December 7th at 7.30 p.m. with friend of IFC, Dr. Mary Frances Varallo. Dr. Varallo has traveled the world for over 30 years, ministering with a strong prophetic gift. God has used her to move in the miraculous and minister a message of destiny. It will be well worth your time to come out on a Friday night and experience the ministry of Dr. Varallo. Parents, we'll have full Kids World available for your kids. Now here's today's message. Are you ready for an amazing message today? How many came ready today? I tell you what, we are so ready. How many are grateful that we live in a city of champions? Right? A city of champions. You know what else I'm grateful for? I'm grateful that I have uh, such a good friend that's a crazy Dodger fan that, that when I text him about this idea of some friendly wager, I mean, it was seconds, and he responded back, absolutely. Now, neither one of us knew what we were getting ourselves into, right? But obviously, he is here today, and he's here in the flesh. This is not a mirage. This is actually Pastor Matthew Barnett in a Red Sox jersey today. <laughs> oh, how fun this is. Absolutely how, how fun it is. You know, we're very grateful, 1994, when Pastor Matthew uh, co-founded the Dream Center with his father, Tommy Barnett, Pastor Tommy Barnett. The Barnett family, they're a legacy family. They're a family that when you get around them, they stretch you. They make, your, they, they make you want to believe for bigger. They make you want to dream bigger. They, they dream on a whole nother level than most people do. And so when they started the Dream Center in L.A. and decided to be proactive about poverty, about abuse, about addiction, man, they started a revolution. A revolution of dream centers now that are all around the world emulating this dream center in LA, 400,000 square feet, 8.8 acres. Uh, he'll tell you more about it in a little bit, but just a, a place of hope, a place of refuge, a place where people can come and get set free from, from the things that, that normally would stop people uh, from ever being able to dream again. And I just love his heart. He is the co-founder of the LA Dream Center. He's the senior pastor of the Angelus Temple, just an amazing church. He's affecting the world. And here he is today in Boston. How amazing is that? That, that only can be, be God with a little help from the Red Sox Nation, amen? Will you please stand to your feet and give an amazing, warm IFC welcome to Pastor Matthew Barnett. Take your moment. yourself a round of applause. I have to say that the third, the third crowd is a little more humble than the other first two. You've had time to sleep in, to think about what's important in life, and that's not baseball. 
That's Jesus. But if we won, we won, it would be very, very important. But uh, you guys are the best, man. I love your pastor from the depths of our soul. There's nobody that, uh, that I love more. And that's why this, uh, this, this wager was uh, so important because both of us are just, you know, I pastor 24 years. He's pastor 37. So, you know, we're just like we're all about our local church. So, man, I mean, it's like to, to get away from our local church is sometimes what we need, but, but we're so glued to our church, right? We don't want to leave it because you think you have the best church and you do, and we think we have the best church and we do, and we just don't want to leave it, amen? We just want to be here, but, and, but I'm so glad I did because, honestly, I feel like today, and I haven't, I haven't said this in any other service, but I feel like today has been one of the most refreshing days in my life that I've had. Just when I think I need an ex. I, I feel kind of selfish because I feel like you've given me far more in return with kindness um, than, than I've given you with my message. I really feel that. I feel it's been a little bit unfair because you've been so warm and so kind. This is one of the friendliest churches I've ever been to. And I just, I'm, I, I mean that. I just, you, I don't even feel tired going to third service. I don't feel worn down. I just feel more invigorated. So, Thank you for what you mean to me and your pastor. He's coming to L.A., and he's going to preach for us in a couple of months. We're going we're gonna to kind of schedule around when we can take him to a Laker game and uh, see LeBron play. And uh, so we're going to schedule around that time. You know, first things first, right? No, just but uh, make sure that, that uh, but when he comes to preach, we're going to have Dodger shirts all over the place because they're very cheap because you can buy runner-up shirts for like $1.75, so... It's going to be, I can buy them all for everybody. Call me a 99 cent store. <laughs> Dodger, runner up. I just, if you're going to eat humble pie, you might as well eat the whole crust, right? Amen. Amen. Well, it's a great joy to be here. I'm going to speak to you on something that was it's rather unusual. It's an experience. Many of you heard about it about a year and a half ago. I ran something called the World Marathon Challenge. It was um, a crazy thing that kind of captured the hearts and minds of America. I didn't realize how big it would turn into became kind of um, a major thing on Facebook and, and, and uh, media and everything. And so when people heard that this pastor was going to try to raise money for the Dream Center, if you see the video, there's about two, 700 residents that live in our building every day who are coming off of drugs and alcohol and, um, and just prison reform. 40 prisoners a month are being sentenced into our rehab program rather than a 10-year prison sentence. So since they have 10 years in prison, they get one year in the house of God, amen, where they can live there. So that beacon of uh, light right there, Dodger Stadium is right behind it, where you guys annihilated us. It's literally right there, right there, right on the hill, and um, but right down the street from there. And and so, if you imagine 700 people living there every day, um, homeless veterans. Uh, we just opened up a brand new place for homeless veterans. Justin Turner, the third baseman of the Dodgers, paid for an entire renovation of a house. I'm saying that so at least we can become your National League team. You should like us. We're not a threat to you. You easily disposed of us. We're not like the evil empire of the Yankees. It's, you got to celebrate in the sun in our stadium and have a big celebration. It was warm. It was pleasant. So we should, you, know, you should love us. Anyways, but, uh, but, but all those people that live there every day. And, um, and so I was, I was set to raise money to, to step out and do something called the World Marathon Challenge. I'm going to preach on the journey of seven lessons I learned of life from seven marathons that I ran. I want you to know seven lessons from seven marathons. Now, to describe what I mean by the World Marathon Challenge and running that event, 
Um, Kathy Lee and to the Today Show got a hold of the idea of what I was trying to do for Angel's Temple and the Dream Center at my church, and uh, they, they did a little thing about it to try to describe what it was. Yeah. And, then, and then today is also, you know, I wrote that musical about Amy Semple McPherson sure. who started uh, Angela's Temple. Well, the pastor of Angela's Temple now uh, it has started something called the Dream Center, which takes care yep. of people in Los Angeles, the, the most difficult situations, people um, just mm -hmm. fighting everything. Well, he is going to be part of the, um, the seven marathons in seven days on seven continents starting today to raise money for them. They start in Antarctica. Listen to this. Then they wait, go to wait. And, he and runs they, a marathon in each place. Yes. Then to South America, then North America, then Europe, then Africa, Asia, and Australia <gasps> to raise money for the Dream Center that feeds, fills the needs of over forty thousand people. Twenty-six miles a day. Each. And when do you? When does your body heal up from when it? You, when you're on the plane going to the next continent. I know it. <gasps> I, so keep the him wow. in mind and everybody else that is running this thing literally for some. Some uh, amazing, I'm sure the people that they're running for are amazing organizations. That's so you can go on. I think it's called All right, let's pray. Father, I just pray you have blessed this amazing church with inspiration today for 2018, the end of it, and a strong push into 2019. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance. With perseverance, the race marked out for us, and let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's the only way to make it, the only way to endure. The author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Boy, joy in enduring the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right-hand throne of God. In 2013, I was playing in a church softball game, and I was trying to run to first base, and I couldn't breathe. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't breathe. I was like, man, I'm out of shape, but I can trot 60 feet to first base. Something's going on. And when the tournament was over, I was really struggling. I got in the car, went to the hospital, and the doctor sat me down. He said, look, um, there's something wrong. Maybe it's allergies. I don't know what it is, but we'll do the whole search. And they did x-rays. And to his shock, he found that I had blood clots on both of my lungs that were stopping my breathing, literally blocking complete blood clots. And he looked at me, and he said, how are you alive? He said, you should be dead with pulmonary embolism that severe you should die. After playing all those games and running around center field and can't breathe, you should be dead. He's getting mad at me. Have you ever been to the doctor and defied all medical reasoning and they're actually mad at you for being alive? He's like, you should be dead. I'm like, I'm sorry, doctor, I'm alive. You should be dead. I'm sorry. He said, well, okay, you'll live, but at least we know that you'll never run a marathon with those lungs as long as you live. And I said, well, who cares? Why, is, why, does that, uh, why did you burn me? You know, that doesn't bother me, you know? And then um, on the way home, though, I thought about those statements about you will never run a marathon. I've never wanted to run one, but suddenly he's giving me motivation. Because Tommy Barnett always told me, my dad, um, that when somebody tells you you can't do something, that's usually confirmation that God can do it, right? So I said, okay, I'm going to get better. I'm going to run a marathon. So I, I was laying in bed, and every day the nurse would come in and give me those Lovenox shots where they would put the needle in your stomach, and they would uh, try to get rid of the, the clots. But the whole time they put that needle in my stomach, I'm thinking to myself, if once I get out of here, I'm going to train to run my first marathon for the Dream Center. The L.A. Marathon is a fundraising thing. And so I got up. It was a little harder than I thought. I got up, and I started walking around the block. I got my Rocky music soundtrack from the Rocky Four when he fought the Russian, you know, Drago, and he's training. 
And I, and it's funny that when you, when you think like you're rocky and you can barely make it around the block, but I was like, you know, dun, 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 dun. and I got around and then I got to one lap and then two laps, and then a mile around the track. And then I ran my first marathon after the doctor saying, you'll never run one with blood clots in my lungs. And I finished it and I said, praise God, I'm done. I proved the doctor wrong. Until one day, I was walking around the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California, just, uh, just hanging out with my wife, just running and walking a little bit, just having fun. And I get a text message from a guy in my church, and he's one of those guys in the church that will always volunteer you for something that he would never do himself. He's like, yeah, you got to jump on a plane for Jesus. I'm like, are you going to do it? No, but you should. Amen. He's like... You ought to do this. And he sent me a, a thing about a girl who really inspired a girl named Becca Peasy in Boston. She was one of the first people to ever do this. She kind of set the world on fire about the Marathon Challenge. This ordinary um, mother who literally was trying, struggling with her business who stepped out and did these marathons. It really started out of, the, uh, out of someone from Boston here. And I read their stories about what they accomplished. I'm like, these are amazing people. I said, they're great. Praise God for them blessings on them. And then as I'm walking, the bubble bubble, and it's a long one, you know, the bubble bubble on the text message, it was going on forever. I'm like, oh my goodness, this guy's writing me a sermon. He's probably going to volunteer me for something. He said, pastor, I feel that the Lord wants you to run the world marathon challenge. And I replied, replied back, basically, get that behind me, Satan, you know, and, uh, and then he said, if you do this, I know the dream center, during that time, was struggling. We needed some resources to finish off the building. We added 200 more residents. We have 700 residents, but, but we picked up 200 more. And uh, so it was a big st step of faith for us, probably bigger than we probably should have taken during that time. We took a big leap. But um, we need to do something radical. And he, and he responded. He said, I know we need some resources. I'll be your first sponsor. I'll give $100,000 if you say yes to run the marathon challenge. And suddenly, I felt the Holy Ghost in my feet. I'm like, hallelujah, you know, I, I can... I can run, and uh, I said yes, because you got to hustle for Jesus, right? you got to take what's there. At the, and uh, so I, I said, yes, let's do it. And so we go, I'll give you $100,000, but you got to do the marathon challenge. I said, praise the Lord. I didn't really think it through. <laughs> it was 11 months later. I said, well, you know what? 11 months will never come. At least we got 100000 out of it. I'll train, but it'll never come. Oh, yes. It always shows up on the calendar, things that you put there. And, and uh, so as we got closer, I started training and uh, 90 miles a week for a person who's just not even a runner, but running 90 miles a week and training and going into the office after like 16-mile runs in the morning and um, just going for it. And then I thought I was really on top of it until ESPN and Sports Illustrated showed up and they were doing biographies of the runner. And I began to study all these runners. Like one runner had run what's called the volcano marathon. I'm like, what's a volcano? Running in a volcano or something? I never heard of that. And like all these wild adventures people are taking, like 60, 70, 80 uh, marathons in their lifetime. And then they came to me and they asked me how many I'd run. I said, two. And they say, you are the world's most least prepared marathon runner in the World Marathon Challenge. So basically, I was described as the most irresponsible, reckless, ridiculous person in it. And so I decided to do it, and then boom, we get started. Seven marathons, seven days on seven continents. We get in the plane, and we fly to Antarctica. I didn't realize. I forgot that Antarctica was a continent. I, I just thought it was ice. I didn't realize it was, a, it was a contact. I should have paid attention in school, or I would have never done it. And so we get in Antarctica. They put us in an old Russian plane, and that's Ryan Hall, the great Boston Marathon world record holder, all-time record um, American that said it was Ryan Hall. He comes out of retirement. He ran 204 Boston at the one time. 
he came out of retirement to run with me after gaining like 50 pounds of muscle. He's like, hey, you know what? I'll do it. I'll, I'll come out. And then this guy just showed up in the picture. I have no idea who he is. Some random Canadian guy. But um, we were in the plane, and we were all gathered together in that plane. And they said, get your red jacket on. It's going to be cold. You're going to land, and you're going to feel cold like you've never felt cold in your life. I felt like Rocky going to train in, in, uh, in Russia, you know. And uh, they said, get ready, though. you got to have your red jacket on, and you make sure you have to wear sunglasses, and, and you have to put sunscreen up your nose because the sun shines off of the, off the ice, and it goes up your nose, and it'll burn you. And you cannot, you have to wear sunglasses every moment of the day when you're in Antarctica because of the reflection. And we got off the plane after those instructions, and the guy said, you know, we're kind of surprised. It's actually like a warm day for Antarctica. It's not negative 40 or negative 30. He said it's uh, actually around zero, which is warm. And these coats are warm. And so I'm like, the Lord is speaking to me. This is going to be smooth sailing. I think God is trying to show me that everything is going to be just fine right off the bat. And I took off my red coat. And I said, I'm going to put a smaller coat on. I was disrespecting Antarctica, putting a light jacket on. I'm dabbing on Antarctica right in the middle. And just, I mean, that's so 2017. But, uh, but um, and so there I am just kind of just, and I'm just having fun, man. And then the winds changed overnight, and it got cold, man. I put that red jacket back on, and uh, me and Ryan were 200 yards away from a, a bathroom. In the middle of the night, the wind was pounding, and it turned to like negative 30 degrees. We were sleeping in this, and it was so cold, we didn't want to go to the restroom. So I told Ryan, he told me, we made an agreement that we would both use water bottles in the tent and not judge one another. Amen? The no judgment zone. And, uh, and so there we were. And uh, the next day, we were supposed to get started when it was warm, but the, the uh, guys from the Eastern European uh, crew that was with us, they wanted to look around Antarctica. And uh, we wanted to start when the weather was kind of warm. But they wanted to wait, and the waiting was a big mistake because we had to run in negative 30 degree with headwinds were 50 miles an hour, negative 30 weather. So you would go one side of the loop, and there was no wind. And in the second half of the six miles, there was this wind whipping through Antarctica that was so severe that we were, like, literally moved to the side. We couldn't even stay on our feet. It was so bad. And as I was running that in Antarctica, I thought about the send-off that I got to this event all the people at the Dream Center, the hundreds of people that are going through our one-year drug and alcohol rehab program, I thought about all the homeless veterans and the families. I thought about all the girls that were victims of human trafficking that the, that the Border Patrol sends to our girls to help get their lives back together again. I, I thought of every broken life. I thought of every homeless family that showed up on our doorstep that had nowhere to go that we took in for free. I thought about all those precious people that said, Pastor, don't don't quit. If you make it to the end, I will make it to the end of rehab. Your journey is my journey. And I thought about all those precious people. Then I thought about how cold I was. And I said, I can care less, but every single one of them, I just want to go home. Amen. You know, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm running. I'm just dying. I mean, it's, it's just so cold. Frostbite on our feet. It was just miserable. I mean, the energy gels in your pocket just turned into rocks in seconds. And as I, as I went around the track, I heard a man yell out. He said, keep going. Keep going. He said, progress isn't about always about moving fast. It's about gaining ground. Keep 
gaining ground, fight for ground. And when I heard those words, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, if I ever get out of this thing alive, I'm going to use that in a sermon one day. And I learned lesson number one from seven lessons on seven marathons as progress isn't always about moving fast. It's about learning how to celebrate gaining a little bit of ground. And there are times of our life where we think that only the celebration can occur when we get to the mountaintop. Can I tell you, there is celebration in the struggle. You need to learn to enjoy every little ground that you gain. Open up your Bible in the morning and decide, hey, I'm not just reading the Bible today. I'm gaining a little bit of ground in my spiritual walk. Learn to enjoy uh, gaining ground in the process. And as we are fighting for territory, as we're supposed to do in our soul, to fight for those places of, uh, of ground and making up and learning to enjoy the process of what God is making you on the inside. Sometimes you're not moving fast, but just keep gaining ground. And I got to the end, and he put a medal around my neck, and he said, see what happens when you keep gaining a little bit of ground? And he put the medal around my neck. And then the plane was flying over to pick us up, and they had to land and then immediately take off because it would freeze, the plane. We went into the tent, and they gave us Mexican food, which is hysterical, Mexican food on Antarctica. And it was actually really good. And, uh, and they gave us our Mexican food. We got on the plane, and we flew to marathon number two in Chile, South America. We go from Antarctica to Chile, and 18 hours later, we're on the start line getting ready to run again. None of us have done this before. We're all freaking out. We're like, how in the world are we going to run in Chile like 18 hours? Because you rest for 28 days after a marathon, typically one per every mile. And so how are we going to do this? And we took off running, and to surprise, surprise, after three miles, our legs started to loosen up. We started to feel good. And one of my dreams in the marathon, I told my church, everybody, one marathon, I said, one marathon, I'm going to run one of them under four hours. That's my goal. One of them, I'm going, and this was the one. I was ahead of schedule after the halfway point. I, I was feeling supernatural. I was feeling so powerful. I was running. I felt good. And then something in my mind said, well, why don't you just hold back? Why do you, you are going too fast. You're not this good. Hold back and don't keep this pace and just fade out. And what happened is the whole marathon challenge, I never broke four hours. Now, you're going to think that the point of this message is hold back. But the truth is, the point of this message is I had another goal. I had two goals. One of them was to break four. I never got it because I didn't seize the moment when it was there. And there are times in your life where God gives you strength and power to do things beyond what you normally can do. But there's times in my life I know that when, when, when rain is happening, I always say, well, when's the other shoe going to drop? Or when is something bad going to happen, even when good seasons are happening? When God is blessing you with momentum and strength, that is a time to dream dreams you've never dreamed before and to go for it and learning to seize the moment when it's there. Don't project failure to come in times of prosperity in your life. Keep praying for rain while it's raining. And I didn't get my record. I learned a lesson, but yet I got a cool medal. They put it around my neck and said, you ran marathon number two in South America. I'm wearing two medals around my neck. And then the plane shows up and said, we're going now. I said, now? Like, literally, like, we're going now. They're, yep, we're going now to Miami. So we get on the plane. We're flying to Miami. And now the reality is setting in. Everything hurts. Everything's torture. Everything's painful. We fly in an old Portuguese plane from the 1990s that we were flying in. So if you can see this, it's not the best for your legs reclining. Um, and so, but it was a plane that flew us everywhere, and we had to sleep like this. So our feet were up in order to get the blood flow back to our heart um, away from our legs. And so we're sleeping with our feet up, 
and our, this guy's sleeping upside down. He's smart. And, uh, and now my feet are swelling up. I mean, my foot's starting to look like Shrek. This was marathon number three. This is actually a pleasant picture, and that's a spoon. Why? I have no idea why there's a spoon there. That's the most random picture. They're like, what's a spoon? Is it symbolic for the Lord scooping up the enemy? Well, no, it's just a spoon lying there. I'm too tired to pick up. But anyways, uh, so we're, we're flying to Miami, and we're, we're getting out there, and we land, and we're just dead. I mean, it's hot. It's warm. But there's something going on in Miami. There was one man in that race I never beat. And I said, God, my goal is to beat this one guy. This one guy. He's from Eastern Europe, and he's one of those guys that wore short shorts. He, every time, every short shorts. I think I have where, where is that guy? He's in there somewhere. He's in there. Yeah, he was wearing short shorts every single picture. And, uh, it, yeah, I think I'm beating him. He's back there somewhere. But uh, so I got to beat that guy. I got to beat that guy. And as I was running, he was always ahead of me. But when I got to Miami, it was the only time I beat him. I didn't have to look at his short shorts the whole race. I beat him. And the reason why... I beat him in Miami is because when I showed up, I had my church showed up in Miami. I had pastors show up in Miami. I had families show up in Miami. And you know what I learned, lesson number three? I learned in Miami that family and friends in a great church and godly people in your life can allow you to perform at a level far beyond what you're able to do. I broke my all-time record in Miami. I mean, not, not my under four, but I got 408 in Miami, and I got that time totally exhausted because I had an unfair advantage. I had every mile someone running behind me throwing water on me, throwing water the whole time, just throwing water. Nobody had that, but I had that. And you know what? You got a bunch of people throwing living water on you every time you come in the house of God. You got an unfair advantage. Saturday might have been tough, but you got Sunday coming up. Amen. You got the house of God. You've got people that love you. And I decided that I was just, I received such a big boost from that event that was supernatural, that was uncharacteristic, that was out of my mind power because of people that supported me. I decided, and I think all of us ought to decide together, that we ought to make our family and our home a home court advantage. That whenever your kids come home from a tough day at school, they've been bullying and dealing with battles. When they see those parents in one of their cars or two of their cars pull up, they'll say, thank God I got the home court advantage. I might have been uh, bullied at school or gone through a hard time. But when I get home, I got my parents that are going to be there. And they're going to love on me and they're going to encourage me and they're going to bring me back to life. When I pick up my kids from school, I used to complain that I had to wait in line to pick them up. And now you know what I do? I pray. I say, God, when those kids get out of school, they're going to get in this car. And I'm just going to love on them and just blow them up with encouragement. And they're teenagers, so they might not always think it's cool. They might give me the eye roll. You know, the kids do. But every parent ought to be eye rolled when you encourage them. They might not think you, they get it. They get it. They get Just keep saying, I love you. You're a champion. You're the best. I just love you so much. And just keep laying it on. They'll say, well, pastor, they might not go. They're getting it. It's getting deep in their spirit. Why? I'm trying to create a home court advantage in that car, right? I'm trying to build them up. And this is what this church is all about. That's what your pastor has done for 37 years. Created a place in Boston that, uh, that every week people can come. And they can have the home court advantage to receive fresh revelation. <laughs> Family and friends can make you perform at a higher level. And I discovered that people were lined up. They had 7-Eleven Slurpees on the side. People made them for us. We were, we were just taking slur the, the Slurpees and drinking Slurpees and donuts. People put on the side of the road. That's Ryan Hall. Um, this is a very godly man. I promise you this is not a bad gesture. 
All right, he's, all of us are losing fat, feeling in our fingers at this point, right? He's just eating a donut. But eating donuts and uh, side of the road, one person had pills on the side of the road. They're like, yeah, these are great pills. I'm like, what are they? They're like, oh, okay, man, I just received them by faith. <laughs> I hope I'm okay, right? I mean, I had to go to rehab after, but anyways, this... I'm just receiving everything. I think they were salt tablets. That's what they were, you know. But uh, we were running along the side, and we were just going. And, and I thought, wow, encouragement can do wonders. Amen. And then we got on the plane. We flew to Madrid, and we feeling good and, and uh, about finishing in America, being loved on. But now the reality is we got to get on the plane and go again. We land in Madrid. We change in the airports. That's what we're doing now. We land. We change in airports. We go to site. Land. Another random Canadian dude who snuck into the picture. We land. We run. And then we, that's, that's what we're doing. So we get to Madrid, and we're going. And weather's great. You know, we're tired, but we're going. And right in the middle of my race in Madrid, I had a partial tear, my patella tendon, my knee, which puts any sports athlete in any league out for at least 60 days without any running or any playing whatsoever. I knew it. I sat down. The doctor looked at me. He said, look, there's a patella tendon injury. You can't keep going. It's over. This is an injury you can't run with. And I just cried, and I just wept, and I said, well, let me just take some time to myself. And so I went back on the track because I didn't want all those people to see how, how just devastated I was. And I just wanted to cry in peace myself. And so I walked down the street, and I, and I just thought about all those people that said, Pastor, come on, man, let's, you're running for a cause. Let's do this. Let's, let's get to the end. And uh, I, I make a promise that if you finish, I'll finish. And I was thinking about all that. And as I was walking down that road, I cried like I've never cried. It's been years of my life, and I hate to say this, but it's been years since I've cried like that. From the depths of my soul where it was just it was crying with an ounce of energy that you never even knew that you had. And I wept to that point, and I got back, and and at the end of my tears, something happened. And that's in point number four in Madrid. Uh, the, the lesson I learned is sometimes you need a good breakdown to get to a breakthrough. And after that breakdown took place, not only did I feel comforted by the Holy Spirit, but something else happened. I didn't realize that breakdown is the birthplace of vision. That when you allow yourself to break down, you come to the end of yourself, and then you come to the clarity by which you can think thoughts that you never would have thought. And at the end of my tears, the Lord spoke to me after I was done crying. He said, I got an idea. Why don't you just use the other muscles that you use in training to get to the finish line? Lock your left knee and just, and just go like this. I mean, God was literally giving me sports medicine advice. Just lock your left leg and trust your other muscles. In other words, God was like, you know, move like Frankenstein, you know, and... Uh, he was telling me to walk like a gangster, you know, and that's, that's, whatever, you know. And, uh, and so I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. And I got to the end of that race, and I shocked myself. The Lord gave me the power to finish that. They put the fourth medal around my neck, and everyone was so happy. I can't believe you made it. And, and I was hugging everybody. There's a little Italian restaurant next to the, um, the place in Madrid, right, right across the street from the, and everyone went to go eat there. We had two hours before the plane left, and we were all talking about our experiences and all that, and I got on the plane. I was arranging my flight to go home because I was injured in the race to go back to L.A. It was over. I was already actually calling to get a, a plane flight back um, to Los Angeles, and as I was doing that, um, everyone was just kind of, you know, saying, man, that was a courageous effort, but we got to go now. We're getting on the bus, and they were getting on the bus loading up, to go to the marathon number five, keeping me back um, because I was done. I was eliminated due to injury. And then the Lord began to speak to me. This is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, just give me one more. 
just give me one more marathon. Just give me one more. God has been playing that trick on me for 24 years in the ministry. Uh, Ten times I said, I drove down that freeway to go back to Arizona to retire. And the Lord's like, you know, just give me one more day. One more day. I stopped at the little Dairy Queen to get an ice cream cone. And I'd be like, the Lord be like, give me one more day. Okay, God, I'll drive back. You know, Dairy Queen has saved my ministry many times. And uh, I thought it was over. And he said, just give me one. And so I said, okay, well, God is telling me to give me one more. It's amazing when you're tired and you're just at the end of yourself and, and you're pushing yourself to a level you've never pushed yourself, you can often find great clarity. You can hear from God in ways you've never heard before because, as was said earlier, you become so desperate for God that you can just hear him in so many different ways and specific ways. I've never heard, I've always heard, kind of heard God in motion and, and, and the general direction, but I was hearing God so clearly. It was unbelievable. Like no other time in my life. And just give me one more. Just give me one more. And so I went down to Morocco, and, and we got to the line. I just, what I thought, though, was that God was just going to heal me. I thought, you know, like the movie Forrest Gump, when he's a little boy and he has all those braces on him, and then he starts running, and the braces fall off, and he, like, runs across America. That's what I thought was going to happen. The gun went off, and I just ran. Because I've been healed by God so many times, I just believe it's like the air that we breathe. I really do. But I took off running, and I fell straight to the ground because I think the Lord was trying to teach me something else. I fell to the ground, and I just looked up, and I said, oh, God, why have you forsaken me? I'm just crying and weeping again, and I've never cried so much. And I looked up in the middle of my tears, and I see these lampposts, again, hearing from God. Because when you push yourself to a level where you need God, as was mentioned earlier, that's when you start finding things you never, and I looked up, and I, I don't see detail. I'm not a detailed person. My wife will tell you, I am the most non-detailed person in the world. She is the total detailed person. And I'm seeing detail in everything. I look up, I see these lampposts. And this is, this is not the Apostle Paul. This is Michael Wardian, one of the runners who's running the race, you know, one of the greatest distance runners in American history, actually, who ran this race. And he's running behind me, and I'm, I'm lapping him. I mean, I'm beating him. No, he's not actually lapping me for the 10th time. But uh, as, we, as, we were in, as we were running this race in Morocco, number five, and they had soldiers that were also lined up on the track that were there, and they were watching this whole thing. And God spoke to me, run one and walk the other. Run one and walk the other. And running was just mainly this, and then walking. And this is what God spoke to me. He said, don't, so clearly, it's strange, don't even think about how far you've got to go eliminate 26.2. Don't even think about that number. Completely isolate from your mind. Take your watch off. Put it in your pocket. Don't look at distance. Don't look at time. One lamppost on, one off. One on, one off. Just one on, one off. And I did that, and you know what happened? I got to the end of the race, and I looked up, and I didn't even worry about how far I went. And it actually, the journey felt quicker when I wasn't concerned about where I needed to be. I looked, and I said, am I done? They go, you're done. 26.2, six hours and 38 minutes, not even thinking about how far I had to go. Just one step at a time. One lamppost. And, and that's life. Sometimes we have goals that are so big, and we get discouraged because they're so far out. But God will oftentimes break down the vision and say, you know what? Just fight a good fight today. Just get up and be faithful. Because by being faithful today, you are paving your way for the big vision tomorrow. Don't worry about, about the grand prize because you'll, you'll always enjoy the journey just as much anyways. Just take the step that's before you. And we got to the end, and we finished and Morocco, and marathon number five. It's getting lonely now because of all these elite runners. I'm the last guy running. They had these, you know, after four hours, they had these big celebrations, and now 638, there's nobody left except for one little dude who's like, hey, good job. You know, you're hanging out there. And now we fly to Dubai. 
We have eight hours to finish every marathon. Marathon number six in Asia, which is actually Dubai is in Asia, marathon number six. So we land in Dubai, and we're going straight to the marathon site, and it's crazy. I mean, I'm sure Dubai is a wonderful place, <laughs> but to me, it's, it's one of the toughest places I've ever been in my life, just because of how I was feeling in Dubai. And as you can see there, I'm kind of losing my mind. I can't think straight. Uh, my, my shoes were stolen in Dubai. Um, the guy that gave $100,000, here he is right here. This, this guy right here, $100,000 he donated to start the Dream Center. He said, Pastor, I heard you're in trouble. I'm showing up to Dubai, and I'm going to run the marathon with you. I will be with you to the end. But as you can see, <laughs> he only lasted two miles. <laughs> He's like, I'm out of here. I'll give you a donation instead. <laughs> I'm like, cool. And so, uh, and so there I was there just struggling with every step, as you can see, in Dubai to make it. And as I was going there, now it's not an issue of will to make it to the end. Now it's an issue of time. You have eight hours to finish or you're eliminated for the competition. The plane leaves you. So you got to figure out how to get home, basically, if you don't get done in eight hours. they got a schedule to keep to get 168 hours and seven marathons in. And so I'm looking at the clock. I can't make it. But little did I realize there was a man in Dubai who was a businessman who also worked in, in England. And he, was, he played rugby professionally in South Africa, but he lived between now Dubai and England. And he was reading the Bible every morning, Galatians, and it said, in love, serve one another. And he was so touched by that scripture because he felt like he was chasing his career and he wasn't doing things to serve people on a regular basis. And so this man puts his Bible down, and he remembers me on social media from running the marathon, and he said, I'm going to go out there and help Pastor Matthew Barnett. He shows up, a guy I didn't even know from social media, and he starts running the marathon with me. He shows up at the station. He said, is Pastor Matthew here? And they said, well, yeah. They, he goes, where is he? Where is he? I got to find him. They said, you don't have to look far. He's just right down there. <laughs> Sir Limpalong is right there. You know, if you, if you do a, a moonwalk, you'll run into him. This guy shows up next to me. He says, Pastor. He said, Pastor, I'm with you. He goes, I'm going to, I was, a, I played rugby and my, my um, mom was a sports therapist. I'm a sports therapist. I can help you. He said, I said, thank you so much, sir, but I, I, I'm not going to make the time. I'm going to be disqualified because of time. So I might as well not keep going. He said, no, no, no. He said, keep going, keep going. I need to talk to you about some things. I said, what? He said, I need to talk to you about men's ministry. I'm like, no, no, that's a pastor's worst nightmare. You're running seven marathons, and a guy shows up, and you're in the worst pain in your life, and he wants to talk about men's ministry? All the men in America can go to the booger man for all I care at this point, you know? And uh, you in men's ministry? He's talking to me about stuff like that for like an hour. And he's like, oh, pastor, you know, I, before you leave, I really need to get mentored. So he's, he's, talk, he's like asking me to mentor him while I need somebody to heal me. I'm like, you know, and he's like, what would you say about this? And I'm like trying to give spiritual advice. I, I hope I did. I don't even know what I was saying probably, but maybe the spirit is speaking through me. But, um, but, he, but he, he looked at the clock. He said, you know what? He goes, the last hour or so I've been moving. He goes, I've been picking up the temple. I don't know if you noticed that. We've been going a little bit faster. And what he was doing was getting my mind off of how bad I hurt. And I was actually moving at a pace, like a five-minute mile pace. And I was moving like a three-minute mile pace or two and a half. All right, two and a half. I was doubling my pace because this guy was walking alongside me. And then I realized in marathon number six that God will send you angels of mercy along the way. There will come a time. If you keep going, 
If you keep believing, if you keep fighting for every step, there will come a time where God will send you people that will come alongside to help you get where you need to go or a provision or an opportunity or something. He will send you along the way if you decide not to quit. This man showed up along the way and blessed me so much. He became my friend, and I finished in seven hours and 38 minutes. And I got to the finish line, and I said, where are my shoes? My shoes were gone. Somebody stole my shoes, and I just cried. My shoes are gone. I just losing them. I'm just losing. My shoes are gone. And this guy comes up to me, Mike Wardian, the guy who ran 245 every marathon. He comes up to me and says, hey, man, no big deal. No big deal. He said, I banked so much time because I was done early. I had so much time reserved. I was able to go to the spa. He said, I got a 90-minute massage. I got a pedicure while you were still running. And he said, they gave me these cool little sandals out the door. I give you these sandals, Pastor, so you can have them on the plane. Two things. I wanted to slap him for being so fast, but I wanted to hug him for being so kind at the same time. And I put those little spa slippers on. And I go to the plane, and no shower. <laughs> Ryan didn't appreciate that next to me. No shower because I didn't have any time banked. I'm sleeping on the plane, 10 hours of sleep in seven days. And finally, for the first time, I slept for two hours, and I'm sleeping in a deep sleep, and then my heart awakens with, with a pounding in my chest that was just so extreme. I'm like, what is going on? And the, the doctors um, on the plane were there, and they were like, you know, I don't know what's happening. And I, I, I fainted in there, and the guy had to put me back in the chair, and he's looking at me. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And he, he said, have you, you had blood clots? I said, yes, I thought I was going to die because the, I thought maybe the blood clots were reoccurring. And, um, and I just sat there. I looked at the screen, and, it's, and it said, eight hours till you get over water. Eight hours till we get over water on the way to Australia. And I'm just like, oh, God, I'm going to die. And I, and I literally, I was trying to speak life in my situation, but I, I was feeling like there's no way in the world I can survive this many more hours. But I did. I, I landed. Of course, I did. I'm here, right? And uh, I landed, and the paramedics came, and they took me off the plane. I, I didn't have to go through customs or anything. I went straight to the hospital. And when I got to the hospital, there was a man in Sydney, Australia, who was a doctor that was there, sitting at the counter, not one person was at the hospital. Not one person. I was the only person there. And the doctor was sitting there just talking to the nurse. He said, what's wrong? I said, I, uh, doctor, I can't breathe. Something's going on. I've just been for hours. I just, the shortness of breath. And he said, um, well, come on in. He goes, what are you doing? And have you ever been doing something so irresponsible you don't want to tell the doctor? I'm like, yeah, I'm running the marathon. Oh, you're doing the marathon. I said, yeah. He said, do you have a history of complications? I said, yeah, I've had blood clots. He goes, oh, you've had blood clots. And you're running seven marathons in seven days? I said, yes. He said, cool. I'm like, what? I thought he was going to rebuke me. He's like, he's like, this is great. He goes, wonderful. He goes, let me hook you up. So he put me up to all these machines. And he's like, we got to get you back out there. You have to finish this race. You need to finish this race. You got to get out there. I said, really? You're not going to stop me? He goes, no. You need to get out there. I'm all, well, what if I die? It's like Rocky. If he dies, he dies. But uh, he's like, you got to finish this. I'm like, really? Yes. My journey started with a doctor who said, you will never run a marathon. And it's ending with a man that says, if you don't get out there and run that marathon, I'm going to slap you upside the head, the doctor in Australia. He said, he's, he's putting fluids in me. He's like, good, you're good. You're good. I don't even know if I was good or not. I'd be like, good, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. Oh, yeah, okay, get out there. You're good to go. And he said, what you had was a panic attack from being in the stress-induced pain and physical 
manifestations in your body manifested itself in that, in that because you endured so much pain, so much heat, so much exhaustion. It was just, it, I've seen that with ultra athletes my entire life. He said, get out, get out there and run. So I get out there, but now the good news is they started an hour early. But the good news is we banked so much time that we weren't under the eight-hour restriction. We now had 12 hours to finish the last one because we were ahead of schedule before noon. And I ended up running in six and a half hours. And we got to the end of the marathon. And a man from Hillsong Church in Sydney was supposed to come. Pastor Brian Houston sent him down there to run one mile with me to show that Hillsong Church you know, was behind me and believing in me. It was awesome. And he's supposed to come for like a mile just to, to say, hey, we're behind you as a staff in a church. And that guy, guy ended up running his whole marathon with me, his first one. He never run one. It's like Forrest Gump, all these people showing up. And I'm, I'm running around the world with a bunch of marathoners who never run one before. And then I stopped and I said... That's about all I got. No, and uh, remember the movie. But anyways, uh, I got to the end, and I, I finished all, all seven marathons. I got to the end, and I get a call from, from Sports Illustrated. And, uh, and e, I'm sorry, ESPN gives me a call, and they said, uh, we heard about what you went through. He said, we want to feature you on ESPN Plays of the Day. I'm like, Plays of the Day? That's like dunks and like 500-foot home runs. And all this stuff, like me on Plays of the Day, they say, yes, we want to feature you on Plays of the Day. And this is my 10-second clip on ESPN SportsCenter. All right, so we got this marathon challenge, seven marathons, seven days, seven continents. So Ma this is Matthew Barnett, who is Ryan Garcia's buddy, tore his knee in four of the, uh, the marathons, didn't quit, finished all seven. Good on you. This cat right here, uh, Michael. Uh... Yeah, forget about him. Anyways, it's not, it's not about him. But I realize that God can resurrect you from the lowest of the lows to the highest of the highs, just like that. I saw God take me from a place on a plane I thought I was going to die to the greatest fulfillment of my life just a few hours later. And I believe that God's about to do that in someone's life. You came here this morning think that your life is on life support, thinking that it's over, only for God to push the reset button in your life to let you know that it's really just begun in the kingdom of God. It's always just begun in the kingdom of God. God can resurrect you. From the lowest of the lows to the highest of the highs in just one moment. If you choose to believe and let him be the, the source of the reset of your life and the rebuilding. Because God doesn't destroy people in rock bottom. He recreates people in rock bottom. God's about to recreate you in the middle of the ashes of despair. Every head bowed, every eye closed all over this room this morning. You're here today and say, Pastor, I'm away from God. I'm not living for God, but I want God to recreate me into what he meant for me to be. I'm on a journey right now, and I just need to be resurrected from death into life. That's what salvation is about. It's about giving God whatever you have left over and God being so pleased that you would trust him with what you have left over, that he blesses you and gives you eternal life and salvation and so many good things in exchange for the bad things that nobody else wants. That's what salvation is. It's giving God all the bad things that nobody else wants, giving him your burden, saying, God, this is all I have to give you. It's broken. It feels like it's on life support. The world will look at it and say, why would you give me that? I don't want that. I want the best of you. I want the best of your youth. I want the best of your ability. I want the best of your talent, the best of your time. I can't do anything with that. 
But God's up in heaven saying, give me the worst of what you got. Give me your darkest moments. Give me that one moment of your life that you wish you could have all over again. Give me your greatest regrets. Give me that moment in the alley where you had that needle in your arm. You look back at that time where you almost overdosed and killed and destroyed your own life and destroyed the family around you. You're like, man, that's a moment I'm going to hide for. God said, no, bring me that moment. Bring me every dark moment of your life. Everything, dream that's on life support. Everything that you thought can never be resurrected. Just give that all to me. I'm about to resurrect you from the lowest of the lows to the highest of the highs. That's what giving your life is to Christ. And that's the exchange I want you to receive here today. You'll say, Pastor, that's so unfair. That's exactly what salvation is. It's a mystery of salvation because many of us can never describe how God in heaven would love us so much. He would give everything for people that could give him nothing in return. But that's just how great our God is. When I say three, I want you to raise your hands and say, today's the day. I want to get my life right with God. One, every head bowed. Two, the Holy Spirit is moving. If you're here today and say today, now, I want to give God every dark, broken moment of my life in exchange for the brand new day and the brand new hope and salvation that I have in him. You'll say, Pastor, you make it sound so easy. Well, I tell you, Jesus came down to earth and gave his life to make it right there on the table for you. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here today, now's the time. I need to be resurrected from where I am to where God has for my life. I want to be saved. I want you to raise your hands. Three all over this room. Just lift them up. Just three. Yes. Thank you. 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 Hands are going up everywhere. Keep raising them everywhere. You're not alone. There's so many of you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep raising them. Praise God for this service. Praise God for 1215. Praise God for you courageous souls. Courage is not having it all together. Courage is realizing where you need to go. Hands are going up everywhere. Praise God. Everyone that raised your hands, you that didn't, pray this prayer after me loud and strong. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross that I might be saved. I repent of my sin and I give my life to you. Thank you for dying for me. Now I live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To stay connected, check out intlfamilychurch.com or follow us on Instagram. Our mission at International Family Church is to help you know God for yourself, to find freedom in your life, to discover your God-given purpose, and help you make a difference in the lives of those around you. One of the easiest ways you can help us do that is simply by sharing this podcast and connecting with us online. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, and sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. 